Welcome to the next episode of our Nickel Boys podcast with Sacred Reading at Brandon High School. I am Mrs. Huff, your media specialist, and with me today is... Sylvia Ellison, the writing coach and podcasting partner to my dear friend, Nicole Huff. Uh, So last time I talked to Mr. Thompson and we were through chapter six and we saw the, we saw the White House and, you know, Elwood got hurt. He, he received a beating, but in three chapters, we just read seven, eight, and nine. This time it was just a beating. And mm. Elwood and Turner together found out that with the boxing match, if Griff didn't take a dive, that they were going to kill him. And then at the end of chapter nine, uh, we see that the they talk about when the forensic examiner dug up Griff many years later, and the fact that they were wondering, the school wondered why there was never an alarm or dogs sent out when Griff supposedly ran away. Mm-hmm. So. So now things are not just, there's not just violence, now it really is life. Yeah, Nicole, and I, I want to give a shout out to Mr. Thompson. Um, I have been enjoying his insight to this text. And so I just think with knowing somebody who knew the situation, I know this is a fictitious book, but there's so much reality in here. And it's so shocking and sad what happened to all these young boys? Um, and so I, I'm, I'm excited to talk with you today about what you just said and the power of, of Colson Whitehead's writing. In fact, I might even go look at The Underground Railroad as my next book to read because I just am so pleased by how this man writes. The Underground Railroad won him the Nobel Prize for Literature. And we do oh. have it in physical copy in the library, but that doesn't help us right now. Exactly. Well, in the fall, then, maybe when we get back. You mentioned that it's fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, but based on reality. And he kind of clarifies that a bit for us in the acknowledgments at the end. He says, this book is fiction and the characters are my own, but it was inspired by the story of the Dozier School for Boys in Mariana, Florida. Mm reporting by Ben Montgomery in the Tampa Bay Times that helped him find out all of this information. And he took Ben's a fictionalized account of what really happened so that he could put in quotes and have characters speak. And also, you know, as we talk about this as a sacred reading, you know, we are addressing the pain that these people go through and we are discussing how to survive it and happen to them. So if we were talking about real people, when you ask someone to relive their pain over and over again in order so that we can learn from it, I know that every time they have to retell the story and every time they hear it, yeah. so by having a fictionalized account here, we can look at what happened in this story and not hurt anyone. Hmm. Right. But I think it was, I'm looking through that acknowledgement piece, and I think it's interesting that there's, but when he writes this, there are several all, books already about it, and yet it's not public knowledge. I mean, we live in the Tampa area, mm-hmm. and I don't even remember that article that came out. I know that we've had something similar to this in regards to a local high school who found a, um, a grave under their land lab. Right. And it was for it, it was not a traumatic situation. It was just uh, people of poverty, people of color and people of poverty that were buried there. And I know that one hit us pretty hard. But this one is a far greater tragedy 
and I think Colson was very wise in how he handled it because it brought to surface something even just local that should have been brought to surface a long time ago. Um, but his writing has captivated an audience. Yeah. And as, and as an audience, we can learn from the mistakes of our of the past. You know, I wonder as well if we are also a bit of victims of the moment and the next tragedy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because it says that Colson Whitehead first learned about the Dozier School in 2014. So it's been six years since the author learned about it, wrote this book, got this book published. And I wonder if that's why all of us in the Tampa Bay area do not have what happened at the Dozier School current in our minds Mm. because so much else in the world has happened since then. Right. Well, I'm excited to talk about this book today. And um, what kind of sacred reading practice are we using? Today we're going to use Lectio Divina, which again has four sets. We will look at literally what's going on in the text in the quote that we read. Allegorically, how is it like something in another text, movie, or the world? Personally, how can we relate to it ourselves? And then based on our conversation, we look at a call to action or what we might want to do from that. So the quote is in chapter nine, it's on page 105. It's in the long paragraph. In Tampa, Turner saw the guys sit in at the Woolworth. He had to work, but they were out protesting. And it happened. They opened the counter. Turner didn't have the money to eat there either way. You could change the law, but you can't change people and how they treat each other. Nickel was racist as hell, up like the Klan on weekends. But the way Turner saw it, wickedness went deeper than skin color. It was Spencer. It was Spencer and it was Griff, and it was all the parents who let their children wind up here. It was people. Mm. Well, I think it was interesting. When I was reading that quote, it's really um, near the end. It's At this point, I believe, Elwood has described the difference between, or has decided Griff as a bully, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I think either, is it earlier or later, he describes the champion before him that he was equally as tough, but he was nice to people. And so that contrast of character makes you really want to not like Griff, right? right? Yeah. And Spencer is the guy you you kind of want to like because he's the one no. who's getting... No, Spencer is the warden and who was the one who picks him up and takes him to the White House. Spencer's the the warden with the keys. Oh, okay. You're right. The the name, there's so many characters now that it's hard to keep up with um, who's taking him where. But but he sets up this this predicament that you don't want to like Griff. And then you find out that Griff is their hope. And then you find out that Griff has been told that even though he will win, he is to throw the fight. Right. Right. And then, um, and so... At that point, he kind of lays off Griff in the in the narrative because you never know, you never really know how Griff feels about it. There's a suggestion that, that Griff doesn't realize what's going on and doesn't understand completely. And even in the end, there's that understanding like he didn't understand. But there's also that idea that because I've already set him up as a bully, how can I throw a fight? You know, like Mm-hmm. There's that ego there, right? And so I think it's interesting how he sets us up there, right? And I also think that this is interesting because at this point, Elwood is already doing the community service job, right? So he's out and about seeing a lot more illegalities that they're doing, 
um, they're selling school products and they're selling food, but it's not the food from the white boys side. It's the school, the, from the colored boys side. So that's why they don't have school supplies on, on Elwood's room because they're making money off of it. And what they're right. getting donated, they're selling it out. And so I think it's really interesting, this dichotomy that's being presented. Elwood, you see, is a very wise you know, young man. He's very thoughtful, who got caught up in a bad situation, who got sent somewhere he does not belong. And, and he's, he's the outsider. Yes, he's, oh yeah, definitely the outsider. And he's trying to look in on things. And, and I think at this point, it's almost like he is writing as though he's there not writing as though he's looking back, right? So he doesn't have, yeah. a, he doesn't know what all's going on. It's just in the moment thinking. It's just in the moment. And so I like it when it says here, um, Turner didn't have the mighty there either way. So it was almost like these protesters were there trying to fight for the rights of black young men and women and colored women of color and men of color. And at the end, it didn't matter if we did it or not because I may have had the right to eat there but if i don't have the money what is the right right you can change the law but you can't change people and how they treat each other so right. Turner, you know it didn't affect him either way when they opened the counter Woolworths. but at the same time he also says you know it's not just the law like nickel has been renamed for this guy nickel who they all said was a nicer warden Mm -hmm. So we find out he has his own issues as well. Right. <laughs> um, but it's not just that. It's, it's Spencer who is willing to tell Griff, if you don't throw this fight, I'm going to kill you. It's Griff who is a bully and is horrible to the other people, even though they're rooting him on. Uh, and it's all the parents who let their children wind up here. You know, Elwood had a lawyer and was different, but... He starts this quote by saying, like, he's asking, well, what about, you know, what about Griff's family? And what about the families of people that they do this to? And Turner says, well, how many boys here really got family that cares about them? Not everybody is you, Elwood. So Turner is pointing out to us, like, he was living, when he was not in Nickel, he was living with a, a family that took him in. It wasn't mm. his own family so, right. who just tossed away their children and let them end up here. It's the meanness and the wickedness that's the problem. Mm. It was people. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're saying that is that the sentence before that really sets us up. It says, it slipped out from time to time, like now, the blinders Elwood wore. Mm -hmm. It's almost like up until this point, Elwood still believed in the possibility of making ace rank of still getting out early on good behavior, of still uh, all the things that were promised to him. And it seems like at this point, I think what he said, the blinders, he can't, you know, slipped off. And he started to see... That they can kill you if they want. Yes, but that there's so much that needs to change that's not changing, right? Like, yeah. we can sit out and protest, but until we get out and vote, right? We can but promise to make sure good. everybody has a living wage to eat at the place that just got opened. What does it matter? Right. If you're going to protest something, protest all the parts of it, not just the one part that you think is good. You know, yeah. if, if a bunch of collegiate, it sounds like a bunch of collegiate students who have money got together and said, everybody should be able to eat here. And then they went and protested and they got it open to everybody and then forgot the next step, which is, well, how do we pay for it for them to eat here? Mm -hmm. How yeah, do we? And, and if we look at the project, are going on 
or have gone on prior to this virus around the country, I think about it with like the immigration camps at the border and the separating parents and families. You know, lots of people went and protested if we're talking about the allegorical side, they protested mm -hmm. the separation of families at the border for illegal entries. And the government eventually said, okay, or at least that's, that's what they said. The reality may be different, but that was the message. But at the end of the day, if we don't look at how people are legally allowed into the country and when refugees can apply and how, and it, if we don't look at the whole system that ended up with all of these people trying to illegally enter the country and, and us detaining families in separate areas created that problem in the first place, then it doesn't really matter that we're not separating kids. I mean, it matters that we're not separating kids from their families, but right. and they're all still in a detention camp. Right. And then it comes down to what the age old debate is, is national security versus individual rights. Right. Do we do we put our nation's security above the rights of people? And that's a that's a debate that I don't think anybody will ever win. In this case, Elwood points to that exactly, though. Do we have the right to do it? Yes. They had the legal right to eat at a place. Do they have the capabilities? No. Because they're not making the same amount of money. Right. It's like the episode in here where they're talking about the young man who worked at the um, bowling alley Turner. and everything was great. And he was having fun with the people who were paying him. They were tipping him. And he even he says, you know, this other guy says, why are you putting on the show for them? Why are you doing that? Why did you do that? Why did that? And he starts picking ragging on him. Right. And so the kid is like blinders off. Oh, my gosh, I am their fool. Instead of seeing the financial gain, which is it's, it's valuable. Right. He decided to no longer be their fool, and it said immediately the people noticed the change in him. Right. Right. And, and he could have chosen to not be their fool, but also not picket them. Correct. And maybe he would have saved his job and not wound up in nickel. But if we're talking about the ugliness that is in all people, when he realized that he had been their fool, he tried to get back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, I'm wondering if that's what Griff was feeling. I don't know that Griff realized what he was doing. I, I think that when it says that it was Spencer and it was Griff and it was all the people who let their children wind up here, I, we don't know why Griff ended up at Nickel, right? We don't know why Griff decided not to throw the fight or if he even understood what that meant. Yeah, he, he just had to throw the second round. Okay. Right, right. And, and in the end, it cost him his life, mm -hmm. which was another way, I think, that when it said that the blinders Elwood wore slipped off from time to time. Maybe that was the piece that fit in here. The lesson that we can learn there is, I mean, I think it's, I think sometimes it's nice to wear our blinders. I think sometimes it makes us feel good to wear our blinders. But the truth of it is, is the blinders can cost us our integrity and it can cost us our compassion. It can cost us right. so much of our character that when you take, when you take them off, you're able to see maybe the stuff you're not participating in, but the stuff that you could stop. Or that you could change. I'm wondering if Elwood, because I haven't read past chapter nine, I'm wondering if Elwood returns to not only tell the story of the Nickel Boys, but to make a lasting impact, like not to just show up, but to show up with the promise that things will never like this happen again or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I finally took my blinders off for good. 
I should have said something earlier. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I actually, so I know that Elwood survives. And I know that he's in New York at the beginning of the novel. Right. I'm worried about what's going to happen to Turner. Because I think it would take more for Elwood to come back than just the death of Griff. Mm -hmm. Because Griff was a bully. And because it's not like Elwood was close to Griff. The person he's close to is Turner. Mm -hmm. And Turner doesn't have family. Uh, And Turner has been to Nickel twice now. And Mm -hmm. admits that, you know, there's, he doesn't have somebody looking out for him. He's seen the meanness in the world and he's seen the meanness in himself. And he ended up back at Nickel. Mm -hmm. So I'm worried for Turner. And I think that that's where I look at this as a personal connection is Mm -hmm. that if we're going to take our blinders off and look at the people around us and see what's really going on and who's struggling and why. And what. in that case, you know, there are plenty of people that I meet and plenty of students that I think are generally good people who might occasionally be in a bad crowd or a bad circumstance. You know, we have students who end up in fights, some of whom cause fights because they get in this spot, you know, and there's um, something in all of us that gets really angry and doesn't know how to back down. But see that that's how fights erupt. And some of our students end up in fights multiple times, even though they're probably that kid is a sweetheart. Because in a certain context or in a certain class, when the nagging impetus is removed, most of us are good people. Uh So personally, I look at some some of our students who struggle. And some of our students who struggle not just academically, but struggle with society, struggle with social issues, struggle with being happy people, struggle with being um, angry, you know, that kind of thing. I know some students who struggle with being angry because some of them choose to ask teachers, hey, can I go to the library for a few minutes so that I can calm down? Mm. So I know we have some of those students. And I think I see a little bit of Turner in them. And I want to reach out. I think that we see that too with our, our students who are in foster homes or that are homeless right now because they don't have necessarily the resources to do um, everything they want to do or they should do. Instead, they react that way. Like they don't have the, the social emotional toolkit even, right? right? Turner proved that whenever he went off on the people in the bowling alley that he mm-hmm. you know, took the brick to their car, but that he didn't know... He didn't have another option on how to respond. Um, I think that goes to prove also what was going on at Nickel with the two different, the obvious racism, right? The, the the white students were being educated. They had all their school supplies. They had the good food and all of the stuff that should have gone to the, the colored side or the black students um, was being sold off, was being given away, was being exchanged. Um, and then even when they, when quote unquote given the opportunity, Elwood was socially outcasted because he went, you know, were you trying to be an uppity one? Using the N-word there and and trying to make him stand out above others. And so I and see that in our in our students is that those students who are trying to do more, they're trying to not sound educated, but so trying to to learn and not get involved in the scraps around campus, I think that those are the ones who we're seeing are turning up like the Elwoods and the Turners, right? And they're they're the ones who are, they don't know where to turn or where to go back to. They don't know how to how to 
handle some of the pressures that others are pushing upon them. I think some of our students, a lot of our students know how to know how to pick fights and know how to push people into fights, but they don't know how to stop fights. They don't know how to avoid fights. Um, they don't have the tools to learn how to negotiate space. You know, so then I think I'm called to two different things. Mm. I think I'm called to do more than just listen when students are upset. You know, I'm, I'm good at listening. But I, I think maybe, especially in this time when we're all stressed out and put on edge and uh, worried for what's going on, and I perhaps want to put out some tools that, that I use, you know, mm-hmm. um, a podcast on meditation, some strategies for calming down, ways to deal with people who are aggressive towards you, maybe with humor, some of those sorts of tools that I've learned over the years that have helped keep me able to be at an even keel. Mm -hmm. But then also Turner's telling us that it's people and it's everyone. So I also think I'm called to myself and my reactions and what I say. And when I get irritated with someone, when I get up about something, I need to look at what's causing that. And I need to see if I'm irritated because somebody didn't act the way I expected them to. And if that's the case, is it because that person made a bad choice or is it also because of other circumstances, you know, that 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 person doesn't have caring people around them to help, that that person doesn't have, you know, I, I think I need to look at the whole picture around a person and a situation in order to make sure that I am not reacting badly and placing blame on somebody when it's not, when I don't need to be so upset, when it will show meanness in me or a lack of something. You know, I was thinking as you were saying that um, some of the things I think we need to uh, arm ourselves with when we're dealing with our students or helping them in that the call to action that you're talking about um, is I think we need to learn how to validate their feelings, not validate their actions, but validate their feelings as the first step to hoping, helping them overcome the anger or the anxiety that they're under. Um, I was in a, I was listening to a webinar last night um, on the book anxiety by Christine Ravisi Weinstein forward was written by Connie Hamilton. And they were talking about that anxiety is the silent illness. And I think, and this is not about anxiety it, i think that turner dealt with anger but i but i think one of the tools that could help a student like turner is to validate his feelings instead of saying maybe um so what it's not hurting you maybe we say you're really worried about what they're saying aren't you right and call that feeling out to play, name it to tame it, right? And maybe that's a strategy that we can also use with our students because I think in a lot of cases as teachers, we are very rational and we think in a rational mindset. And so our answers are always, you know, get over it or this too shall pass, my favorite. You know? But I think in turn, maybe our call to action is to take students, listen to them, recognize the signs in their body language, and then at least validate their feelings. Especially when there is sort of meanness and wickedness occasionally that has happened to them, racism right. that has happened to them, 
that therefore caused a much shorter fuse here or a different reaction than what we would have wanted. Correct. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of one saying, listen, they're just trying to get at you, which is trying to make it, which reality, reality probably makes them feel less than human, makes them feel like they're going crazy or something. When instead, I, be, I need to be saying, like, what do you need from me? What can I do for you? I'm here for you. Let's think about what we can do in the next 15 minutes to help the situation or to help you feel better. Yeah. Even starting with, instead of it's going to be okay, start with, can you describe how you're feeling? And I think at first the kids are going to look at us like, you got to be crazy, lady. I'm, I'm angry, right? right? Well, good. Okay, I just want to make sure you're angry and not frustrated or not, you know, irritated. I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, nuances in our feelings. So which one did you, were you feeling? Are you, you know, were you worried or frustrated or were you irritated, irritated and angry, you know? And I think that's where I think we can start. Um, Nicole, I am looking so forward to finishing this book. And I think that um, there's going to be a lot more lessons to be learned, a lot more call to actions to have. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've just reached one of the peaks with finding out that Griff is not only was he missing, as they thought at the time, but he was actually dead and then how he died. I mean, they, they give us some hints to that with the autopsy report there. But I'm anxious to see who else is who else they find. And like you, Nicole, now that you've mentioned it, I think I'm I'm gonna be afraid for Turner too. And I think I'd just like to end today with actually a Martin Luther King quote that is inscribed on the memorial in DC for him. As we talk about meeting students where they are and, and asking how we can help and not trying to tell them what they should feel, but rather meeting them where they are and, and being that listening ear, I see that in kindness and, and meeting some of the, the evil and wicked things that are in all of us in society. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So I think that in general, we should all strive to add more love and more light and let's see the darkness and see the negativity in this world and try to shine some love on it. I love that. Thank you for talking with me about this today. And mm. I hope I'm excited to read the rest of it with you. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody.